Hi everybody, this is Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. By the way, this is a special edition of Prophecy Today. Hanukkah and Christmas 2019. Now that's an interesting thought. Hanukkah, it overlaps Christmas Day, so this year they're together. We're going to bring Steve Herzig to this broadcast table to talk about Hanukkah and the connection that there is between Hanukkah and Christmas in John chapter 10. Stay tuned for that. John Root is going to give us a look at Christmas in the European Union. He's going to talk about the Christmas markets and all the beautiful activities that are there right in Brussels, Belgium which is the headquarters for the European Union. Dr. Don DeYoung is going to help us understand how the star of Bethlehem led the wise men to the location of where Jesus was born and was already a couple of years old by the time they got there. And then David James, he has an album out of Christmas music. He's going to sing for us on the broadcast today, Mary Did You Know. That's a great Christmas song written by Mark Lowry. And he's going to explain how biblical it is. And I'm going to bring Dave Dolan to the broadcast table to talk about his most interesting Christmas time in Bethlehem. I think it has to do with something about Yasser Arafat. So keep the dial set. And in fact, I've got Ken Timmerman standing by for this special edition of Prophecy Today, Hanukkah and Christmas in 2019. And Ken, you cover geopolitical activities. You travel all over the world. I'm sure you must have an interesting Christmas story. Can you give it to us, please, as we begin? Uh, well, hi, Jimmy. You know, I always try to get home from Christmas wherever I am. But <laughs> yeah. uh, there was one year, around 20 years ago, I was out on the USS George Washington off the coast of Kuwait uh-huh. and watching uh, in the command room on the radar the Iranian F-14s taking off and heading towards a U.S. carrier and then going back. And, and I knew that I would be leaving that carrier and those people a couple of days before Christmas to rejoin my family there were men and women on the carriers, they would not be going home to their family. They would stay there on Christmas Day to defend our freedom far away from home. So I guess my Christmas is really always a debt of gratitude to those people who can't come home uh, for Christmas. That is a great story. Man, it just it almost brought tears to my eyes there, Ken. That's a really exciting thought that you brought to our attention. And may I just suggest to all listening in, why don't you pray for those men? You may have somebody special, men and women today, who are protecting this country. Lift them in prayer if they're not going to be able to come home for Christmas. I have a grandson that will not be able to come home. He's in the Navy, and I'm going to be praying for him. Well, let's get to the other stories, the political activities. That's key when we have a conversation with you, Ken. Looks like Russia's top general has made a prediction, a chilling prediction, saying that World War III is coming. Yes, this is, this is pretty interesting. Valery Gerasimov, who is actually the chief of the Russian general staff. So this is not some... Uh, lower rank general or a retiree. This is somebody on active duty, Putin's top military advisor, warning that the uh, buildup of U.S. and NATO forces in East Europe, in the Baltics in particular, but East Europe, uh, has become such a challenge to Russia that there is a real risk of a military confrontation erupting because of a mistake. 
Uh, that's something that I'm actually glad to see that the Russians are worried about, uh, because you know, wars do happen by mistake, where two sides get too close to each other. There are too many incidents, and, and General Garasimov pointed out a number of close calls just in the past couple of months, most of them, however, caused by Russian aircraft or Russian uh, Navy vessels getting too close to us. But, you know, he doesn't say that. He just said that these close calls between the opposing sides. Uh, the bottom line is that Garasimov is not saying that Russia wants a war with the United States. He is saying there, there, there are great risks today because of the, the closeness of our military forces to each other and the buildup of U.S. and NATO forces in Europe. And to go along with that, another story coming out that Russia is aiming to become a major arms dealer in the Middle East. Now, that's a part of this whole scenario as it relates to World War III. Right. And, and I can remember right after the Cold War, it, I, I used to be a defense correspondent for years and years and would go to all these air shows. And I think it was the Paris Air Show in 1991, the first time, right after the first Persian Gulf War, when the U.S. showed off the F-117 stealth fighter for the first time. The Russians were there and trying to peddle their wares, and it was pathetic at the end of the Cold War. Flash forward uh, all these years, 25, you know, almost uh, 30 years forward, and the Russians have become an arms export powerhouse, they're not selling the old junk left over from the Cold War. They're selling state-of-the-art fighter bombers, the Su-57, a brand-new fifth-generation fighter plane. They're planning to develop jointly with India, possibly sell to the UAE. Uh, they're selling other Sukhois and, and especially the S-400 missile defense system uh, all around the world. Uh, this is a far cry from the Russia, uh, the, the poor Russia after the end of the Cold War. Today, Russia is has invested heavily, heavily in developing new military technology. And I would even venture that today their weapon systems, in many cases, have outclassed the U.S. systems, in mm. particular when it comes to jet fighter bombers. Wow. Boy, that's a pretty interesting statement there. Ken, next week we're going to look at the top ten prophetic news stories and I want to get into what I'm going to ask you right now then. So if you could just give us a prelude to how you may answer it. And the question is, how in the world did Syria become the centerpiece of Russia's Middle East strategy? Right. Well, isn't that interesting that Russia is back uh, to the Middle East? Uh, but, but again, people, Jimmy, we need to have a sense of history. All right. Russia owned the Middle East for much of the period from the early 1950s until 1975. Mm. Uh, Russia was in, in with the Egyptians. The Russians uh, had threatened nuclear war with Israel during the 1973 conflict. And Israel, for the first time ever, had actually begun to mobilize its nuclear warheads with its missiles because it feared that the end had come. Mm. So Russia had been in that region very deeply, you know, 50 years ago, and then at the end of the Cold War, when, when they had this retrenchment and, and Russia nearly went bankrupt in the end of the 1990s, they pulled out of everywhere. So they lost Egypt, they lost Syria, they lost Saddam Hussein's Iraq, they lost their influence in Iran. What we've seen in the last 20 years is a rebuilding of those traditional ties between the Soviet Union, today Russia, and those countries in the Middle East. Syria uh, has become the centerpiece. Why? Because 
Syria is now at war. And since 2015, the Russians have been there fighting alongside their traditional historic ally uh, in Syria, the Assad family. And it's given Putin's military its first opportunity to test all of these new offensive military systems they have developed over the past 20 years. Remember, they had a pretty bloody fight against the tiny Georgian army in 2008 when Russia was backing the separatists in Ossetia and Abkhazia. It was a difficult fight for the Russians. Now, uh, here we are, less than 10 years later, and the Russian military is showing itself far more professional uh, with much greater capabilities than they had in Georgia in 2008. And that has become really the important thing for the Russians in Syria. It is a proving ground for new military systems and new tactics, and the Russians have been succeeding at it brilliantly. We're going to continue this conversation next week when I talk with all of my broadcast partners, bringing into their attention and your attention the top 10 prophetic news stories, how it all fits in the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. That will be one of the questions I'll have Ken to rehearse. So you join us next week as we look at the end of the year, what has happened during 2019. Well, what about Iran? We've got to bring them to the front when we have a conversation. They're beginning to test much faster centrifuges as uh, the nuclear deal seems to be unraveling all across the European Union especially. Uh, yes, it has unraveled, and uh, Iranians continue to import technology from the European Union clandestinely. The Germans have warned about this, and others have as well, uh, but they just keep getting that technology. Now, they just announced this week that their IR-6 centrifuges, this is six generations faster than the ones that we have known about for all these years, those are actually up and operating and they have a newer generation they're calling IR, IR for Iran, of course, IR-9, which are currently testing. Now, the Iranians say that the IR-9, this new uh, generation centrifuge, is 50 times faster mm. than the ones that they've had in place for the past 15 years. Bottom line, we just don't know any longer, Jimmy. We have no idea any longer, no baseline to know how much enriched uranium the Iranians have or are capable of producing, nor can we have any clue to how close they are to a nuclear weapon. They have reduced the timeline so far that basically uh, they have become a virtual nuclear weapons state today. Wow. That is unbelievable statement Ken Timmerman just made. Makes it uh, pretty bad news as it relates to Israel and even the United States as well. Well, we'll cover some of that next week when we take a look back at 2019, the main top 10 prophecy news stories, and then we'll take a glimpse into the future 2020 as well. Ken, that was a great Christmas thought that you brought to our attention, our military forces around the world. Thank you, and I hope that'll cause everybody to be praying for them. And by the way, to the Timmerman family, may you have a merry, merry Christmas and a blessed new year. We'll talk next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Thank you for those thoughts. I appreciate that. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan standing by a Middle East news update, his favorite story of Christmas in Bethlehem. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. By the way, when you're at my website, go to my Prophecy Bookstore, a special deal for Christmas from Prophecy Today. We have the Prophetic Book Essential 3-Pack. Now, that is great because these three books are essential for your understanding of Bible prophecy. The book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Revelation. Those are the three books. I have commentaries written on all three of these, the most important books in the Bible prophetically because all other prophetic passages of Scripture dovetail into these three books. Each one addresses God's plan for a different strand of the human family. Daniel for the Gentiles, Ezekiel for the Jews, and Revelation for the Christians. In this special offer, you will receive my studies of these three special books, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation, Daniel, a prophet to the Gentiles, Ezekiel, the man in the message, and Revelation, a chronology. Normal price, $45. We're going to give it to you for only $30. Let me remind you to buy right now. And by the way, when you're thinking about it, please prayerfully consider making us a part of your end-of-the-year giving. Those who partner with us keep the ministry of Prophecy Today moving forward. To donate your tax-deductible gift, please visit prophecytoday.com forward slash partners or call us at 8prophecy8, that's 877-674-3200. And thank you very much. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central with this special edition of Prophecy Today, Hanukkah and Christmas 2019. Hanukkah overlaps Christmas. That's why we're putting the two together. Steve Herzig is going to come along right after I have a conversation with Dave Dolan. Give us the history of Hanukkah and the connection that Jesus has to Hanukkah, which is found in John chapter 10. We'll talk to Don DeYoung about the star of Bethlehem. John Rood will tell us Christmas activities in the European Union, and David James is going to sing Mary Did You Know and then talk about the biblical aspects of that particular Christmas song. By the way, I want you to know I have a very special gift to you. If you'll go to either my Facebook page or my Twitter page, I have recorded an amazing Christmas story the actual date of the birth of Jesus Christ, and then the actual location. It was in Bethlehem, the shepherd's fields, but where was it? I can tell you it's Migdal Adar. You need to hear this Christmas message. If you're not on my Facebook or Twitter page, you can find me at the location at Jimmy DeYoung. That would be both for the Facebook and Twitter page, or you can just search Facebook, and Twitter for Jimmy DeYoung. An amazing Christmas story available there for you. Well, I promised David Dolan would come along, give us his favorite Christmas story or most interesting story that took place in Bethlehem since he's been a correspondent, a journalist there in that location for over 30 years. He has a lot of experiences. I guess he'll have to pick and choose which he's going to tell us about. David, talk to us about your favorite Christmas story at Bethlehem. 
Well, Jimmy, I think I've mentioned uh, before in your program one time in the mid-90s when the late Yasser Arafat, the PLO leader, Palestinian Authority leader then, when his car nearly ran me over. I was out for CBS radio in the Bethlehem area, and I just stepped off the curb to interview some Palestinians to get their reaction to Christmas. And this Hummer came around the corner going very, very fast, and it turned out it was Arafat and his wow. driver and a couple others. Wow. And uh, they were moving real, real fast. And uh, one of the people I was interviewing grabbed me, just reached out and grabbed me and pulled me onto the curb, or I might have been a Christmas set footing myself. <laughs> but, Jimmy, I also remember the first time in 1988 that I worked for CBS, the first Christmas I worked for CBS. It was the first year of the Palestinian uprising, the first Palestinian uprising. And I'd been out there for Moody Radio and others uh, in the 80s earlier, and it was always a lovely time to go out and hear all the choirs and, and see everybody gathering. But this time, there was hardly any foreign visitors at all. Violence was raging all over the area. Just a few tourists had come. But there were still some Christian choirs that had decided to come from various parts of the world, and one was from Texas. And I interviewed some of them, and there they were up there singing their hearts out to an almost empty manger square. So unusual, but there were far more Palestinians than normal there that year because nobody else was there, so they were coming out. And one of the people said to me on the choir, I interviewed her, she said, we're just so glad to be able to give the gospel of Christ in this war situation and she reminded me that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the Romans were in control. There was a lot of tension. There was a lot of violence. There were uprisings. There were upheavals. So uh, nothing had changed in that sense, but the gospel was being sung that starry Christmas Eve, uh, almost midnight, and that remains uh, in my memory to this day. You know, you said a very interesting statement. Nothing has changed. That's about the truth from then up until today. Talk to me about all the Christian pilgrims and the Jewish worshipers coming into Jerusalem and Bethlehem this week for both Hanukkah and Christmas. High security, I would imagine. Well, definitely. And of course, Jimmy, because the Jewish calendar, as we've discussed many times, is a lunar calendar, Hanukkah and Christmas don't always coincide. Now, Hanukkah always happens around the Christmas time, but sometimes it's earlier in December or in mid-December. Sometimes it's after Christmas. And uh, this is one of those years where Hanukkah and Christmas do coincide exactly. So, yes, uh, we have the hundreds of thousands. Of course, we had a record year of tourism in Israel this year. And uh, that's after several years that also beat the record. So despite the violence, despite the situation with Iran, despite the Gaza Strip violence and all the things going on, people are flocking to the Holy Land like never before, really. And uh, this time of year, it's both Christians and Jews coming to celebrate Hanukkah with their families. And, of course, that is done all over the country. Security is always heightened. It's always an opportunity for terrorists to act because there are more crowds and more people out shopping, just as in the U.S. and elsewhere, and gathering for public functions and celebrations. But security remains very, very tight, and particularly in and around Bethlehem, the Israelis control the outskirts. The Palestinian Authority controls the town itself. And, Jimmy, they've made it plain, uh, the leaders of the PA, to Islamic Jihad, Hamas, and other Palestinian groups that are more uh, prone to do terror attacks, 
that this isn't the place or time to do it because tourism and the economic benefits of it are essential for the Palestinian Authority, and Bethlehem is one of the most visited Palestinian sites. So they say that's off limits, and so far most Christmases have gone off fairly quietly in Bethlehem. You know, I guess it doesn't look much like Christmas in most of Israel, with the exception of Bethlehem and up in Nazareth as well. I mean, you wouldn't even recognize it was Christmas unless you were in one of those two cities. Well, also in the old city of Jerusalem, Jimmy, because as you know, there's a Christian quarter there. There are uh, tens of thousands of uh, Palestinian Christians, Armenian Christians, um, others from, uh, really, from all over the world. And then there's a couple thousand expats that live in the land. And of course, today, there are thousands of Jewish believers in Yeshua as their Messiah, and they uh, also want to celebrate his birth. So in the old city of Jerusalem and in other parts of East Jerusalem, you can see Christmas trees. And Jimmy, actually, <laughs> an increasing trend in recent years has been on the Israeli side. You'll see Christmas trees sometimes in some of the stores, and you'll see uh, Christmas lights and different things like that, because, you know, they recognize uh, that Christianity came out of Judaism, that its origination was in the area, that Jesus was Jewish after all, and his mother and his father and his brothers and sisters and all the apostles, etc. So it's not a foreign thing to the Israelis, really, and, and there's been more cultural openness, especially since the Russians started flocking into Israel in the 1990s. Many of them are married to Jews, but are themselves uh, Orthodox Christians or with a Christian background. So there's quite a few people in the land these days that do celebrate both Hanukkah and Christmas at the same time. Let me get to some hard news. Hamas celebrating their 32nd anniversary as a terrorist organization. They still want to do what they started out with, destroy the Jewish state of Israel and make it into a Palestinian state called Palestine. Well, and Jimmy, we just had an announcement this week from the uh, Islamic Jihad group from their leader uh, based in Lebanon, Nakhala, that said that Hamas has agreed that in any further activities against Israel, Hamas will join in. This last round of violence a few weeks ago, Hamas stayed out, as you remember, from the rocket response. But this agreement issued in Egypt this week, we're told, was that Hamas will join in again next time. They came under enormous public criticism for staying out. But they're trying, it seems, as I've mentioned the past few weeks, to come to some sort of ceasefire, at least, with Israel, Hamas is, and to scale down the violence, mainly to get continuing economic aid. Qatar, in particular, has been giving millions of dollars to the Palestinian Gaza Strip every month as aid, and they've said, you know, we'll continue this as long as there isn't full war going on, and then we'll have to step aside. So they have the economic incentive to go forward. But they also have pressure from Iran and from uh, Lebanon, from uh, Hezbollah and other allies of Iran to carry on with the war against Israel. So I don't see that ending anytime soon. And after all, the Hamas founding charter says Israel is illegitimate. It must be totally destroyed. And that is something that they believe in as a religious principle. Tayyip Erdogan, who is the president of Turkey, is going to allow Hamas to attack Israel from Turkey. We'll get more on that story when we talk with uh, David Dolan next week. And David and I will be discussing, as it relates to Jerusalem, Israel, and the Palestinians, 
the 10 top leading news stories prophetically when we get together looking at 2019 and then into 2020 as well. David, thank you for this story about Bethlehem. A couple of them there. Appreciate it so much. And uh, we look forward to talking with you next week. But uh, let me say now, a Merry, Merry Christmas to you and a Blessed New Year, good friend. And a Merry Christmas to you, Jimmy, to your family and all the listeners. God bless all. And let's keep looking up, keep praying. The Lord's coming is near. Amen to that. Well, we're going to have to take a break right now. Steve Herzig is standing by. He's the National Director of Friends of Israel. He's going to give us the inside story on Hanukkah and the connection to Christmas from John chapter 10. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. This is a special Christmas edition of Prophecy Today weekend. So glad you could join us. Now, we're going to talk about something that coincides with Christmas, but not necessarily is looking absolutely at Christmas. We're talking about the Jewish holy day of Hanukkah. And when we want to talk about any Jewish holy day, you know who we go to, Steve Herzig, who is the national director of Friends of Israel. Steve, it must be Hanukkah because I have you on the air again. Hey, Jimmy. Happy Hanukkah to you. Well, thank you so very much, and it's a joy to be able to have a conversation with you about these very special Jewish holy days. I want to do a couple of things in our conversation today, Steve. I'd like to find out from you the history of Hanukkah, what the Jewish people do today, what the connection to Jesus might be, and then we always end with a very practical question, how can we use this holy day for the Jewish people to communicate Jesus Christ as the Messiah and ultimately coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, you come out of an Orthodox Jewish background, so you are very knowledgeable of what Hanukkah is all about, its history, uh, about 2,300 years ago and everything else. Let's start with that, Steve. Talk to us about how Hanukkah actually came into existence. Well, Alexander, Jimmy, was conquering the world, and he died very, very young, and it was split up into four distinct areas. And one of those was the Seleucids, the Seleucid Empire, who was just north of Israel, and Antiochus, who was the ruler or general of the Seleucids, 
had his own agenda, and part of that agenda was coming down to attack Egypt. And in order to do that, he had to go through Israel. And Jimmy, it's an age-old issue that still today, he, in his, his hatred of the Jewish people because of their difference, lifestyle, which is to serve the living and the true God, he was upset that they would not become Hellenistic, that they would not adopt false gods, so he, he wanted to eliminate them, or at the best, assimilate them. And there was a family called the Maccabee family, and Jimmy, they stood for one God, they stood for the Torah, the temple, and they were not going to compromise. When Antiochus took the temple and desecrated it by killing a pig on the altar and desiring for the whole country to become assimilated, the Maccabee family stood against him. Mattathias Maccabee, the father, he had uh, sons, one of them Judah Maccabee, uh, who invented guerrilla warfare Mm. and fought the Seleucids, who were much bigger in number than they were, much more powerful. The Jewish people were farmers, agriculture. And so this attack by the Maccabee family against Antiochus forces encouraged all the Jewish people. And slowly over time, they fought back, captured the temple, and rededicated the temple to the living and true God. Jimmy, it's a holiday that you said is so many years ago, and yet you look in Israel today, the same kind of issues are on on the plate today. Well, Hanukkah, as I think about it, was a time when they were trying to assimilate all the Jews into being Hellenistic, as you just mentioned. But that would have been then a more difficult uh, opportunity for Jews to bring forth a Messiah, which actually would happen, what, about 200 years after Hanukkah took place. Jimmy, you just raised one of the most important aspects of Hanukkah and why it's significant to believers. You see, Jimmy, if Hanukkah never happened, if the Maccabees didn't care about their one God theology, that the Torah is God's Word, if they didn't care about that and they assimilated, or if Antiochus was victorious, there would be no Jesus Christ born. The seed of the woman back in Genesis chapter 3 was now in jeopardy, and Antiochus was the chief antichrist, if you will, uh, anti-Messiah, because he would have prevented the Messiah from coming. And you and I know, as Bible-believing Christians, we our whole center of existence relies on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. Hanukkah, way before Christmas, Uh, There would be no Christmas if it weren't for Hanukkah. And then these Maccabees, after chasing Antiochus Epiphanes out of that area, went into the temple itself, reconsecrated the temple, and tried to light the menorah with the virgin olive oil they found in a flask. Tell us about that. Yep, you mentioned the menorah, seven-branched menorah, uh, which is always to be lit continually in the holy place. Well, of course, the temple is, is desecrated, There's no oil, and the story goes that they found one cruise of oil that was sealed by the high priest, but that would only last for a day, and to go through the process of pressing olives and making sure it's pure and the right kind of of oil, they lit the menorah, the seven-branch menorah, and instead of lasting just one day, it lasted eight days in time to get more oil, more pure kosher oil to burn the menorah 
there. So today, Jewish people light a nine-branched menorah called a Hanukkah. Eight days for Hanukkah, one day for the servant candle, the Shamus candle. And that Shamus candle is the one that serves. You light that candle, and it brings the light to the other uh, candle. So each day, one candle is inserted. So really, the first day of Hanukkah, which will be Sunday night, December 22nd, that first day of Hanukkah will have two candles. Then each subsequent day, we'll add another candle for all eight days. Wow. If we can just uh, explain to the Jewish people the significance of that servant candle, what a relationship it does make them to Christianity, Jesus Christ as the true Messiah. You're absolutely right, Jimmy. There is, Hanukkah is the time of year. I believe we have a wonderful opportunity to share with our Jewish friends. Jewish people celebrate light. The candles are light. Christians celebrate the light of the world. Jewish people celebrate victory from the point of view of holding on to their identity in in God, in one eternal God. Christians celebrate the incarnated God, where God in the second person of the Godhead comes to the earth and is the light of the world. Christians celebrate Jesus as the servant. Uh, Jewish people believe the servant candle is the key in Hanukkah. There are so many different ties to the two days, uh, more agreement than disagreement amongst Christians and Jewish people. Many call the day of Hanukkah and the eight days following that the Feast of Lights. Some refer to it as the Feast of Dedication. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of John, the word light is used at least 26 times as referring to Jesus Christ. And there's an interesting statement about I am the light of the world by Jesus in chapters 8, 9, and 11. But in chapter 10 of the Gospel of John, there's a real connection between Jesus and Hanukkah, isn't there? Oh, Jimmy, chapter 10, uh, chapter 10 of John, starting in verse 22 and going to verse 30, with the backdrop of the Feast of Dedication, in fact, that's how verse 22 starts off. Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Oh, Jewish people identify with that. Hanukkah takes place in the winter, and there he is at Hanukkah, and he is trying to defend the Jews in, this, in the context there, those who are his enemies. Not all the Jews were his enemies, but the leadership there. And he had demonstrated who he was, and they, they still didn't know who he was. If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And he tells them, I, I have done that. But in verse 30, he says something very profound. I and my Father are one. Mm. Uh, an amazing teaching, one that is so significant as Jesus, as the people looked at Jesus as he's on the earth, what they saw in Jesus, all the works that he did, the teaching that he gave, that they were seeing the living and the true God. And in fact, using Hanukkah as a feast, as a time that Jewish people celebrate the preservation of the Jewish people, Jesus talks in chapter 10 where he says, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jimmy, the idea of Hanukkah and the fact that God preserved his people is the same kind of illustration you and I have where we realize that once a person embraces Christ, if they truly embrace Christ, there is no power on earth, heaven, earth, under the earth, anywhere that can snatch them out of my Father's 
hand. That means we are preserved eternally. Just as God promised to preserve the Jewish people, which he did, and that's why there's still Jewish people here today, because of God's promise, is the same promise-keeping God that ensures you and I, when we are in Christ, we will be there for all eternity. What an exciting doctrine. What an exciting statement from God's Word. And let me suggest to all listening that you might want to spend a little bit of time during the eight days of Hanukkah, and it's Christmas season, to look at John chapter 10, just a blessing you'll receive from that. I have a message that I give at Christmas time, Migdal Adar, which is the exact spot, the tower of the flock, where Jesus Christ was born there in the shepherd's fields there in Bethlehem, Euphrata. And I even go to December the 25th using chapter 1 of the uh, book of Luke and uh, the time that Zacharias served there at the temple. And I submit that it's a possibility that the 25th chosen by the early church fathers was based upon Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights, because, as Steve just told us a moment ago, he is the light of the world. Well, one final quick question, a practical question. How do we use this to communicate to Jewish people the Messiah, the true Messiah? Well, Jimmy, I I think one of the things we can do is simply greet our Jewish friends with a recognition that they're celebrating a holiday. And uh, many Christians I know do that, and Jewish people are just so happy. We just finished here, Friends of Israel, giving out Hanukkah baskets to our Jewish friends, just unconditionally loving them, and we have seen them break down in tears. Uh, They counter with Merry Christmas, Jewish people telling Christians Merry Christmas. I've spent Hanukkah with Jewish people. They've come to our house for Christmas celebration. There is a sharing of culture, if you will, talking points that could just bring about great opportunities to share God's Word. Well, what a great, great statement on how we may be able to at least begin a process of communicating Jesus Christ as the true Messiah and ultimately the Savior of the Jewish people. By the way, Jewish Culture and Customs will be a book that Steve has written. You need to get a copy of Go to my website or FOI for friendsofisrael.org on their bookstore site. You'll be able to get it as well. Steve, thank you so very much. I guess we will not talk until Passover, but uh, thank you so much for giving us insight into Hanukkah this time, and have a blessed Hanukkah yourself. Jimmy, thanks so much. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and Happy New Year. Amen. God bless. Talk to you again soon, Steve. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Well, next we're going to cover the European Union. The man who does that with us is John Rood. You know, John has been very involved in living there in Brussels, Belgium, so he knows the European Union like the back of his hand. And since this is a special Christmas program, I want to ask John about how Christmas unfolds there in the EU. But first, John, we want to take a bit of a moment here uh, to look at some political activity. Uh, The Prime Minister of Great Britain, Boris Johnson, having a vote, and it looks like Brexit is really going to happen by January the 31st of next year. Give me a couple of thoughts here. Indeed, there's been several deadlines. It's currently set now for January 31st. There's an overwhelming majority in Parliament since the last election, 70 seats. So it does appear to be going through. The next big thing will be trade deal with the U.K. and the E.U. That's possibly by the end of 2020. 
And so the big question is, with Brexit actually being successful now through this incredible rocky road, is it going to be an encouragement for other EU members to pull out of the EU? It would appear so. And that's the reason why the EU has been so very tough. Well, we'll stay on top of that story throughout 2020. That is key to the fulfillment, ultimately, of Bible prophecy. And the European Union, the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, actually morphing in to that revived Roman Empire. That's what we have ahead this next year. We'll be talking about it. So keep the dial always here at the time we're on the air with Prophecy Today and John Rood. Let's talk about Christmas a little bit, John. This is the season that we're in right now, and the reason for the season, of course, is Jesus Christ. But I want to see, is that really the truth of what's happening in the European Union? You sent me a couple of ideas to talk with you about. Let's talk about the Christmas markets first. Now, tell us what that is. I mean, is that going to the mall and doing some Christmas shopping, or is it, or is <laughs> it something... Sort of- it's sort of an outdoor mall with the small booths uh-huh. with all types of Christmas items that are sold. It's usually in the very, very center parts of the cities. They're enormously popular. In fact, being in Brussels 26 years, the only time I could not find a parking place downtown is when the Christmas market was on. It's just, it's that popular. It's throughout Europe. And it's certainly a part of making Jesus the reason for the season. And by the way, from Brussels, you can just cross the border into Munchau, Germany. It's a beautiful city, just famous for Christmas time. It's in a very narrow valley, and it looks just like it's straight out of Bavaria. It's a wonderful time. It's a good presence there with the Christmas markets. Can you get all the items that you want for your Christmas shopping there in a Christmas market? I I think so. A lot of ornaments and so forth. As well, in Brussels, there's the Grand Place, which is the heart of the city. You could even say, to some extent, it's the heart of the European Union. And it's, uh, it's said to be the most beautiful square in Europe. And each year, they bring in a very large tree from one of the EU countries, almost always Scandinavia, And then they have a nativity scene in the center of the city with live animals. And this is Brussels. You know, this is a highly secular society. Yet in the United States, at times there'll be, you know, lawsuits about a nativity. But in Brussels, they'll go all out with this. It's It's like they put these differences aside to enjoy and be a part of the Christmas season. Well, is it in the wintertime, of course, but is it a snowy? Is it a white Christmas there in Brussels and across the EU? Usually it is. Usually it is. And it's a wonderful time. And it's just a great time for the families, very joyous and celebration. In Europe, I'd say it's a very traditional celebration. In some ways, they've, they've kept this tradition in a very deep way. It's highly respected. You know, I ask about the snow because everybody always wants a snowy Christmas, a white Christmas. Of course, when you think about it, there in Bethlehem, there was not snowing the night that Jesus Christ was born. Uh, But indeed, that's what we see on our Christmas cards. So we've been psyched into believing that's what we have to have. Well, exactly. There's another tradition you sent me a note about 
Christmas is a two-day holiday. Explain that. Yes, most of the European Union would have Christmas as a two-day holiday, December 25 and 26. So most of the time it's just sort of referred to as the second day of Christmas, and it's simply a continuation of, you know, television specials, the concert from uh, Vienna, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But uh, in the United Kingdom, the second day of Christmas is specifically called Boxing Day. And uh, try to look up a little bit of the origins of that. They say it's because you box up your gifts. Mm -hmm. I actually don't know if that's true or not. But they do as well, uh, two days of Christmas. And also a note that uh, St. Nicholas Day is December 6th. Mm-hmm. And so much earlier in the month in December, uh, that's the day that the younger children receive gifts. So it's an entire month on Christmas. And St. Nicholas, of course, was a real person. And we're just glad to have this focus on Jesus' birth, and I believe that God will use this as a witness to the European Union as they have high reverence for Christmas. Yes, let's do pray that is the case. Well, thank you, John, for sharing with us some of the Christmas atmosphere that would be found if you were in the European Union, and a special focus there on Brussels as well. And by the way, A Merry, Merry Christmas to you and your family and a blessed new year. Thank you, and a Merry Christmas to you and all our listeners. Good things ahead. Well, we're going to one of our favorite broadcast partners, Dr. Don DeYoung. He's an astronomer. He's a science teacher. He's an author. He is so many things. He loves to travel and hike. I can remember sometime this last year, he took his family to the Grand Canyon And they had a great outdoor experience there. What a lovely, wonderful place to be able to go to. I've been there. It's just magnificent at night. You can almost, Don, am I correct, reach up and feel like you're grabbing a handful of stars when you're standing there? It is a great place, Jimmy, for dark skies. And yes, the stars do appear closer. Well, that's exactly what I want to talk about, a star appearing closer at a period in time. And that would be the biblical star of Bethlehem. Now, we hear so much about it. We've got to remind everybody, Jesus Christ was born there in the fields at Migdal Adar in Bethlehem, Euphrates. And then it was a while later before the wise men showed up. And I understand that as you look at uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 2, it talks about the wise men that as they came into Jerusalem caused a great stir in that community. They're going to make their way after meeting with Herod over to Bethlehem uh, to be able to visit with the newborn king of the Jews, Jesus Christ himself. However, uh, there was some time that had passed by, and there's the story about the star leading them. Let me ask this first question, an obvious question. Can astronomy explain this biblical star of Bethlehem, Don? Well, Jimmy, uh, many efforts to try to identify the Christmas star, tell just what it was. There are different ideas. Some say it was a comet. Some say a gathering of planets. But, you know, none of these ideas uh, work out. The efforts fail to naturally explain the, the star of Bethlehem. Well, then how must we look at it? it? Was it a supernatural event, which, of course, the Lord can do? Well, I think, I think it was, and for two good reasons. First, 
you know, when the uh, Magi reached Jerusalem, Herod is unfamiliar with the, with the star, or and his people as well. If it had been some major event in the sky, a gathering of planets, uh, a comet, it certainly would have been in the headlines, and it w- would have been well known. Mm. Uh, it it sounds like the wise men were really the only people who saw the star, which make it special. And then, of course, um, the star leads the wise men after they leave Jerusalem uh, to Bethlehem, which is a direction from north to south. No natural object in the sky moves that way. Everything goes from east to west. So coming up with those ideas, uh, I would suggest that the star of Bethlehem was a supernatural phenomena. Uh, it was temporary. And it's uh, beyond natural explanation. Well, that's exactly how the Lord, of course, brought everything into existence some 6,000 years ago during that week of creation, six 24-hour days. So he was capable of doing something supernatural at that time. Throughout the history of this earth and what's been going on from the biblical history, let's say, Has there been other supernatural events that uh, you would consider similar to this star leading the Magi? Uh, Certainly. And, you know, the Lord has used um, light in the sky in other um, times and places. When the uh, Israelites were moving through the wilderness, uh, a pillar of fire guided them, a light in the sky. Of course, a bright light blinded the Apostle Paul. Uh, God is a God of light and uses them uh, at his time. And I think the Star of Bethlehem is another example of supernatural, temporary light that guided the way. Well, the scientists don't really want to agree that there can be supernatural events, do they? Well, certainly not. Great efforts, Jimmy, to explain away miracles. Even the Israelites' crossing of the Red Sea, they suggest that the sea was shallow or the tides were low. Uh, The efforts are almost humorous to uh, try to account for miracles. But, you know, by definition, a miracle is above science. It's not about to be explained by, by us. Well, and that star that we put on the Christmas tree, and I know there are some who disagree with the activities of a Christmas tree with lights on it and a star at the top of it. But it does remind us of that star of Bethlehem, doesn't it? Well, it certainly does. You know, the star uh, at the time of the Lord's birth um, served its purpose and did guide the Magi, as the story tells us. And, of course, they were there to celebrate the supernatural birth of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself coming to the Jewish people. And that's the real, true reason for the season, isn't it, Don? Not to worry about how the star got there, but to realize it was supernatural, and the birth of the Messiah was supernatural as well. Well, certainly, it was a time of miracles, and uh, I count the star in that category. A wonderful story, and uh, miracles are are true, and they're part of our, our faith and we appreciate it. You know, I love looking in the stars. You've got me really excited about that. You wrote a book. Uh, Tell everybody about the book, how they could get a copy of it, as it relates to the stars and those four words that brought all the stars into existence there in chapter one of Genesis, and the stars also. What's the name of that book? How can we get a hold of it? This book is titled Astronomy in the Bible, what I did is wrote up 100 questions and answers on the whole area of um, stargazing and space. What were the stars like in New Testament times? 
and uh, uh, the origin of the stars. And so uh, question-answer approach, and uh, there are star charts in the back as well. Astronomy is just a wonderful part of creation. Of course, it's 99-plus percent of the physical creation. And if we can get away from the city lights, God's glory is still up there overhead. Well, we have that available at our Prophecy Bookstore right here at prophecytoday.com. Go to the Prophecy Bookstore. You can make your purchase of Don's book. What a great Christmas idea that would be to give that as a gift to one of your best friends. Don, thank you so very much for helping us this last year. We'll be talking, I'm praying, if should the Lord delay the rapture. I'm hoping that's not going to happen, but should he do it, we'll have more conversations next year, 2020. By the way, have a Merry Christmas at your house, and may the Lord bless you in this next year. Thank you, Jimmy. Looking forward to next time. Supernatural event. The Star of Bethlehem. Don was absolutely correct. From the Word of God, what did happen that very first Christmas. Well, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, I've got David James standing by. He's going to sing Mary, Did You Know? I love that Christmas song. And we'll explain how significant it is biblically to the time of the first coming of Jesus Christ. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Merry Christmas to you. Just a couple of days in advance, this is a special Christmas program on Prophecy Today, Hanukkah and Christmas. They overlap here in 2019. We've had some of our broadcast partners tell us stories about Christmas. Just a moment ago, Don DeYoung talked about the star of Bethlehem, and upcoming in a moment, David James will give us information about Mary, Did You Know? That song, remember it? David's going to sing it, explain how biblical the song is for Christmas. Hey, would you do me a favor? Answer my poll question on my website, my homepage. Go there, prophecytoday.com, the homepage on the left-hand column. Here's the question. Since there are five times as many prophecies for the second coming of Jesus as there were for his first coming, do you believe that these prophecies for the rapture and the second coming are at the point of fulfillment? That would be great for you to go there and answer that poll question. And by the way, I have a special treat. I have an amazing Christmas story that deals not only with the actual birthplace of Jesus Christ, which is Migdal Adar. If you don't know about that, you need to hear this message and the exact time Christ was born. You can go to my Facebook page or my Twitter page. There you can find an amazing Christmas story that you can listen to. We now bring David James to these microphones. It's that time of the week and of the year for us to have a conversation focused on Mary Did You Know. Do you remember that song written by Mark Lowry? It's a beautiful song. If you keep the dial right where it is, we're going to have David sing that song as we have our discussion. You know, David and I discuss a current issue facing the church almost every week, but we're going to do something a bit different today. 
Some of our listeners may not know that David James has a music ministry as well as his traveling and teaching ministry. Today we're going to play one of the Christmas songs that he's recorded and then discuss the biblical truth in that song. Before we listen to it, David, what can you tell us about this song? Well, the song, Mary, Did You Know, as you said, the words were written by Mark Lowry, and that was back in 1984 as he was working on a Christmas program for his church. Now, the music wasn't written until 1991 when Mark gave the words to Betty Green, who was also touring with the Gaither Vocal Band at the time. And over the last 30 years, literally hundreds of people have recorded it, and it has charted many times. Uh, Last Sunday, I sang the song at our church, and our music director made the comment, that she thought it was one of the best songs that had ever been written. And Mary Did You Know is written from the perspective of someone asking Mary a series of questions and trying to understand just how much Mary actually grasped in those early days just before and after Jesus was born. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water Mary did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new this child that you soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm the storm with his hand? Did you
David, I would have to agree with your music director. It's a great song. It's one of my favorites. May well be the favorite of all Christmas songs that talk about the birth of Jesus Christ. But not only that, throughout all of the song, great biblical truth. It's hard to imagine all the things that must have been going on through Mary's mind. But the first one she had to deal with was being engaged as a virgin who was now expecting a child. Well, our pastor spoke about that in his message on Sunday morning. Just imagine trying to wrap your mind around this. The thought of telling your husband that an angel appeared to you who told you that you were going to have a baby, that the child wasn't going to be Joseph's, and then trying to convince your husband that you're still a virgin. And according to the account in Matthew, Mary had told Joseph about this even before God sent an angel to him in a dream to confirm what she had said. And we need to understand that they were actually legally married because the betrothal period was more than just an engagement. It was a contractual arrangement, and the betrothal period lasted about a year before the marriage was consummated at the wedding feast. So for their family and friends in the community, there were only two possible explanations. Either Joseph and Mary had violated the betrothal together, and Joseph knew that hadn't happened, or Mary had been with another man, and she knew that hadn't happened. And if anyone on earth knew that Mary was a virgin, it certainly was Mary. But this is exactly what was prophesied to be assigned to the house of David when the Lord spoke to King Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where he said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, one of the major themes of the song is the many miracles that Jesus Christ did during his public ministry, with several of them mentioned in the song. Remind us, David, what was the significance of all the miracles that Jesus did? Well, the first thing we need to understand is that miracles often had two aspects to them, and these are the primary purpose and what I call the secondary benefit. For example, let's think about the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 5. Was the primary purpose to feed this large crowd of people when they're just going to be hungry again in a few hours? No, that was a secondary benefit. But the secondary benefit was to prepare people to understand the primary purpose, which we find in the next chapter, where Jesus tells them that he's the bread of life, and this bread that gives eternal life is received by believing in him. Or let's think about his very first miracle in John chapter 2, when he turned water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana. Was the primary purpose just to keep the party going after they ran out of wine about halfway through? the celebration? No, that was a secondary benefit. In the Old Testament, regular wine is usually associated with drunkenness and is often a metaphor for judgment, but new wine, the best-tasting wine with little or no alcoholic content, was a prophesied sign of blessing related to the coming kingdom, and that was the primary purpose of his first miracle, and I think it must have been new wine because it was a sign that the kingdom was at hand because the Messianic king was on the scene. So these miracles all pointed toward the truth of Jesus' message to his identity as the one who had both the authority and the ability to establish the promised kingdom of God on the earth with him as the son of David on the throne. I don't know if you know this or not, David, but uh, I have a kind of a neat relationship with Mark Lowry. When he was a student at Liberty there in Lynchburg, Virginia, 
as uh, Jerry Falwell was establishing his church and also uh, the great school that's there now. Mark was uh, right there on the front row when I would go to speak to some of the super conferences, especially in the area of teenage activities and addressing the super conferences for teenagers. He was on the front row. I did give him some solid information from the Word of God. And there's another clear thing to me in Mary Did You Know. It's the identity of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about Mark's theology when it comes to the identity of Christ. He makes it clear that he believes that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And that's exactly right. In the third line of the second verse, he says, Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? Which points to the eternality of Christ. He didn't just come into existence at the Incarnation. The Apostle John begins his gospel with this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the fourth line of the second verse says, When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. And then in John 1.14 we read, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So for us, the incarnation is something we accept by faith based on the Word of God. But here was this young teenage girl whose life had been turned upside down, and now she was holding the Son of God caring for him, protecting him, and loving him. It's almost impossible to imagine what it must have been like for Mary and Joseph. Can you imagine living with God in the house? And in fact, I've heard Mark Lowry joke about when Jesus' younger siblings got into trouble for doing something wrong, and Mary would say, now why can't you be more like your brother? (laughs) (laughs) That is so, so practical when you stop to think about it. Well, the song is very, not only practical, but prophetic in its look at the birth of Jesus Christ. But not only does it talk about the Creator becoming a man, it reminds us that as a man, He will return to rule the world, something that you mentioned just a bit earlier, David. Those ideas are in the fourth verse of the song, and they all come from John's Gospel as well. The first line refers to Jesus as Lord of all creation, and in John 1, 3, we read, All things were made through Him. And in verses 10 and 11, John says, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. The third line refers to Jesus as heaven as heaven's perfect lamb, which reminds us of what John the Baptist said just before he baptized Jesus when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Mary's son was going to die in our place, taking the punishment we deserve for our sin. And if he was going to die, and if he's still going to be the eternal king, then that means that he must be resurrected from the dead. You know, the first Adam failed, but the last Adam, the eternal Son of God, will live forever and will never fail, and he will rule over the nations from the throne of David forever. And then the last line of the song refers to John eight fifty eight, where Jesus identifies himself as the eternal one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. Jesus was in a dispute with the Pharisees when he said, Before Abraham was, I am. Wow. Amen and amen. 
Hey, David, thank you not only for working with uh, this song and helping us to understand how practical the music is. Mark did a great job, but you did a great job also singing the song, so we appreciate that so very much as well. We hardly ever use, I can't remember when we've used music before, but thank you for doing that for us today. By the way, a Merry Christmas to you and your family and a blessed new year. Thanks, Jimmy. The same to you and yours. That was a great conversation. Hope you enjoyed it. You can go back and listen to it again and hear the song if you'd like to. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and you'll be able to go to PTRN Prophecy Today Radio Network and hear this interview as all of the interviews on the broadcast today. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'll take a look at the book. It's all here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. This is a special program for Prophecy Today, Hanukkah and Christmas 2019. You know, each of our broadcast partners did bring to the table a look at their special Christmas. David Dolan talked about his experience in Bethlehem with Yasser Arafat on Christmas Day. Dr. Don DeYoung spoke to us about the Christmas star of Bethlehem, a supernatural event. And David James, he sang for us the song, Mary, Did You Know?, a song written by Mark Lowry and so biblical in its presentation. 
Well, that's just a couple of what our broadcast partners had to say about their very special Christmas. I especially liked what Ken Timmerman brought to the broadcast table, talking about being aboard a aircraft carrier there in the Middle East, day or two before Christmas, realizing that he could go home for Christmas. All those soldiers would have to stay there for that Christmas time and protect us here in the United States of America. I encourage you to pray for those people who are standing watch protecting us here in America. If you missed any of these reports from our broadcast partners, it's not too late for you to be able to hear them. You can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. We've archived each and every one of the conversations that I had with these men reporting from different parts of the world about the current events unfolding, seemingly setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. May I suggest you pass this information along to a friend? You can send them the location where they can go and listen to these reports, the link to that. That would be a great help for them in their study of Bible prophecy. And maybe they're not even studying Bible prophecy. You might be able to introduce them to this subject, a very key subject in the time in which we're living. And also let me remind you on our home page, prophecytoday.com, or at Jimmy DeYoung on Facebook or Twitter, you'll hear a very amazing Christmas story. I talk about the actual location and the authentic time when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was born. Go to the homepage, Prophecy Today, or at Jimmy DeYoung on Facebook or Twitter, and then send it along to as many people as you possibly can. By the way, if you were listening today, or if you go to the location where we have all of these conversations archived, you will hear Ken Timmerman, and he talked today about Russia's top general, the number one man in the military under Vladimir Putin who has given a prediction, a chilling prediction, of World War III that it is coming. Now, that's an absolute. If you've studied any of the Bible, you remember Jesus saying there would be wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Well, that war is coming. It's going to be led by Russia. That's the Ezekiel 38 war. It's an alignment of Islamic nations, and it happens in the first six months of the tribulation period. The reason is the Antichrist is a major player in that Ezekiel 38 war. He has to return to Rome to lead that false religiosity, Revelation chapter 17. So he has to play a role in wiping out all those who are going to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Isn't that amazing? The Antichrist does that. Of course, the Lord will step in at the last minute and destroy the Islamic world. It has to be out of the way so the appearance of Antichrist and other events can be fulfilled, especially in the first six months, but throughout the entire seven-year period of time. David Dolan reported to us about Hamas at 32 years of age. It was 1987 when Hamas came on the scene. They came out of Egypt. They came into the Gaza Strip. They were the military arm of the Muslim Brotherhood, the granddaddy of all terrorist organizations. 
and they are major players in the Middle East today. They are a major terrorist organization, and their plan, as it was in 1987, is to destroy the Jewish state. Ezekiel chapter 35 says that what the Palestinian people will do, Hamas Palestinian people, they will kill, according to Ezekiel, they will kill the Jewish people and then steal their land. That's their scenario for today. Steve Herzig, who is the National Director of Friends of Israel, he came to reveal to us the story behind Hanukkah, the Jewish holy day, when they light eight candles over eight different days to celebrate the menorah with enough oil in it to stay lighted for one day, it stayed lighted for eight days. Remember, Antiochus Epiphanes came into Jerusalem, went into the temple, desecrated the temple by slaughtering a pig on the altar. He did that on Keslov 25, 168 B.C., and then three years to the day later, Keslov 25, or December the 25th, they reconsecrated the temple, they lighted the menorah, it stayed lighted for eight days, thus the Jewish holy day of Hanukkah, or as they refer to it, the Feast of Lights. Connection between Jesus Christ, who said, He is the light of the world, is key. John Rood talked to us about Christmas in the European Union and the connection to the revival of the Roman Empire. And then Don DeYoung gave us the story, the supernatural story, of the Star of Bethlehem. It was a supernatural event, many of them taking place, the birth of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, his second coming, all supernatural events. And David James sang for us, Mary Did You Know, that's a great Christmas song, and he talked about how biblical this song is. It is exciting to hear what David had to say after he sang the song, Mary, Did You Know? Well, it gives us the reason for the season. It is the person of Jesus Christ. It's not for buying gifts. It's not for even getting together on Christmas Day for a wonderful meal. It's to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And that first coming of Jesus Christ is evidence that the second coming will take place as well. Five times as many prophecies as there are for the first coming are helping us to understand the times in which we're living over 1,500 prophecies of the second coming of Jesus Christ, the rapture, the next of those events. And by the way, that rapture can take place today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except Merry Christmas, and let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.